Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the MMA UK podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined with Cage Warriors commentator Brad Wharton. Brad was kind enough to talk with me about what the last year has been like for the company he works for and to talk about how his own life is going. Brad is Cage Warriors play-by-play commentator and analyst, so trust me when I say he can talk fights. If we could start just by how you're feeling after the last few weeks, obviously just past an event, uh, Cage Warriors, the trilogy return in March. Um, yeah, how have you sort of been in the weeks after? Well, there's this thing that like we always talk about in the scene, like the Monday blues after a show. So like you have that, you know, everyone's there on the Thursday, sometimes the Friday morning for the weigh-ins, and you've got that kind of intense like everyone's going to make weight and then the show's got to go ahead. And, and of course you're worried if the fights are going to be good as well. Cause you know, you don't want, uh, you don't want the boring night of fights and everyone whinging about it on Twitter. And, you know, I, I know like for guys like myself and the referees and that we all want to make sure we put on a good performance. So it's, it's kind of stressful. Don't get me wrong. It's really good fun, but it's a stressful atmosphere. Um, and then obviously you've got that big adrenaline dump on the Sunday, Monday afterwards. And everyone's just like, Oh, what's going on? Like, you know, you've gone from like a hurricane into, into almost silence. So imagine that times by three, having to get three sets of weigh-ins done, three sets of fights on, three productions. It's, uh, I'm not going to lie, like the, the week after the trilogy, it's just a case of like, oh, what's going on, man? You need to just chill out and, and relax a little bit and take stock of things. Like for me as well, like I have to go and watch the fights back because I just, I can't remember really what's happened. You know, you're, you're full of adrenaline, especially like in the main card and you're trying to build yourself up in yeah. the main event as well. And, you know, get things like sounding a bit more exciting. And afterwards, like, it's just a blur. Like, it's, it's really funny. Like, you know, everyone's on the coach going back to the hotel afterwards and you talk to the commentators and the refs and, and the presenters and everything. No one's got a clue who won or what happened. Like, everyone has to kind of talk to each other and, and stitch it all back together. So, um, yeah, it's been nice to have a couple of weeks peace now after that first week of, uh, of you know, what the hell went on. Um, and also, like, there's a big sense of pride as well. Like, no one's done a trilogy apart from us. Like, we're the, we're the only people who've, who've been putting these, like, three events on in a block. Um, and I think they've come off pretty well. I think, to be honest, this, the most recent one's probably the best in terms of the fights and, and the presentation and everything. Um, so yeah, just, just really proud of it. And, and, you know, seeing all the feedback online and stuff, it's always, um, you know, it gives you a warm feeling inside and, and it, it kind of gives you like a bit of a kick as well to be like, okay, what can we do to make the next one better? Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask about that actually, because like you said, no one else has done that sort of trilogy having multiple events on over three nights. Um, cause I, I imagine for most people, most companies right now, it's hard just to do one where you, Cage Warriors, they're going up and beyond um, what sort of the expectation is right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, do you like the idea of having, like, trilogy, you know, over three nights? Or in a perfect world, would you prefer to remain back at the just, you know, once a week or once every two weeks events type like that? Um, I mean, Cage Warriors normally does around, like, between 12 and 15 a year, depending on, on what happens. So it's usually... You don't usually have one in January or August, so it's usually kind of like one a month, and then and then a couple of months you'll have two, um, and that that works. You know, it gives fans a little bit of time to kind of come down and get ready for the next one. Like I've been watching MMA since the I guess maybe '97. So so back then 
you had the UFC, you had four shows a year. So you had months to get excited about it. And, and part of like my early like MMA fandom was spending like a month or two getting excited for the fight. So from that perspective, I, I kind of like Cage Warrior's schedule in terms of you know, you've got a bit of time between events to, to get excited about stuff. Um, the trilogy is loads of fun, though. You know, it's so unique, like being locked in a hotel with everyone. Um, I, I don't know if it will feel as unique when the world's back to normal, but like for most of us, you know, the socializing that we've done in the bubble at the trilogy is the only time, you know, you've been able to, I mean, we've, we've not even had a hotel bar at the trilogy. So like, it was like a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of rum back in my room kind of thing. And, you know, we're all sat there, like, this is the first time we've sat and had uh, any social time with our mates. Um, we ended up staying up to about five o'clock in the morning on the Friday night, just talking. And we're like, oh, yeah. shit, we've got working. Right. Um, so I don't know how unique it'll feel when it comes back, but look, it's, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? We, we've, we have to do it like this at the moment. We don't really have a choice. Like we've got uh, the crew and fighters for cage warriors. You're looking at maybe 150 to 200 people. So to risk that every month, people failing their COVID tests and not getting into the bubble, there's a lot that can go wrong there. So we're doing three shows now, but you only have to pass the COVID procedures once because once you're in the bubble, that's it for the week. You don't leave, the production crew don't leave um you know we could realistically be in a situation where uh i don't pass graham boylan doesn't pass uh dan hardy doesn't pass dan strauss doesn't pass and layla doesn't pass uh the producer doesn't pass then there's no show right they can't do it um they'd literally have to put a show out with no commentary or, or maybe get ian dean to just sit and talk <laughs> yeah. or something i don't know yeah um Give Ian credit. Actually, we've had situations before where the commentator has uh, the other commentator hasn't turned up, and Ian's jumped on with me. So fair play to Ian. Yeah, <laughs> wouldn't put it past him at all. But that's the reality, right? You know, you could you could be in a situation where half the fighters fail. You know, the first trilogy, we had um, sixteen people fail. Uh, there was production and corner teams and a couple of fighters. Um, we were able to switch a few things about, so we could still put three nights of fights on. Now, if you have your main event, your co-main event, and the next two fights down, lose a fighter, and you've only got that one card, all of a sudden you've not got much for show. So um, while as much as I enjoy it, it, it is kind of a necessity thing at the moment. And I think it will likely go back to normal, maybe after this trilogy in June. Um, if, if we're in a situation where we can get fans in, then I don't see why we would do three shows in London on three nights when we could do London, Wales, and Birmingham. You know, it kind of makes more sense to get about, get as many fans in as possible and, and let more people see the product live, which, you know, at the end of the day, it's a live event business, right? It's, you know, we need the ticket sales. Um, you know, we're luckier that we've got broadcast deals, obviously, but um, I'm sure it's, uh, you know, the balance sheet's going to look a whole lot better when you can have 3,000, 4,000 fans through the doors. It's obviously been so difficult for companies um, themselves, but in terms of, you know, directly relating it to you and your job, um, has it been sort of strange in a way? Because obviously the models perhaps not changed overly. Well, there's maybe a couple more months in between shows than the normal schedule would be because of COVID. But in terms of your role as a commentator, has having the trilogies, you know, where you've got like a long time to build up so you can plan, you can you can do your work, you can research and things. But has it been more difficult having to do back-to-back-to-back shows where, you know, you've got to do a lot more, but perhaps maybe just in a longer space of time? 
Yeah, I mean, like the actual hours put in, I guess, is around the same, right? Because, you know, you're either doing research for 10 shows one month and then the next month and the next month, or you're doing 30 shows. And, you know, let's be honest, most of us haven't had a whole lot else to do to fill our time. So we, we've had the time uh, to do the research. Like, I'm not a big note taker. So, like, I know some guys will, like, just watch hours and hours of tape and just make notes about everything, like, you know, every single combination a guy throws. Like, I've got a pretty good memory for, like, facts and things and i know most of these guys very well like i have been commentating for a long time i've been around the scene for for even longer so i, I know especially all, all the kind of european guys you know the guys that come in that maybe haven't fought for us before or i don't know i'll go and look at, at their yeah. kind of stuff so it's not been massively different for me um like physically it was a bit harder because your voice is wrecked right normally after you commentate the next day your voice is very hoarse so um trying to like keep it in my head not to go too overboard on the first couple of nights just so you've got something left like it is it's kind of physically exhausting like you know you wouldn't think you just sat there talking right watching fights but like when you when you're kind of screaming and you've got that constant adrenaline you're, you're knackered by the end of it um so sort of making sure that my voice sounded okay was uh, that was kind of one of my main concerns but just yeah, drinking water and taking lozenges and things it was fine um and, and of course like not having eight beers after the first show that's uh, <laughs> that's the danger you've got to look out for as well you don't want to be doing that on a hangover man trust me but yeah i mean practically it's not really been that much different i mean because because all the domestic scenes shut down i've not had any other shows to do so it's you know having to have that intense prep for three days with the shows hasn't been that much of like a time drain because i've not had that much else to do i imagine that you know if i was like commentating the week before and the week before that and the week before that on smaller shows it would have been like oh shit i've got to cram everything into a week now but um because the scene's been quiet it, it's not really been that much of an issue for me obviously like financially it's been a very different year because i, I mean i i do so many of the smaller shows i probably make more money doing that than i do from cage warriors like i've had years when i've i've done like 40 weekends out of the year uh doing at least one show per weekend um the, the well, it's not funny at all really it was very depressing but the uh the, the funny thing of uh, the, the start of last year when the pandemic happened of course you you never get any shows in january only maybe one or two at the end of february uh so kind of like end of january my calendar was full up from mid-feb to i want to say like the end of may with like all the kind of first lot of shows happening and then when the pandemic happened it was literally just like every day there was like another cancellation another cancellation like I don't spend money before I've made it and I don't rely on MMA as like a, a main source of income, but I've got to be honest, like I was like, Oh, there's the PS five out the window. Then that's not <laughs> happening this month. Like no new trainers for me. Like, Oh yeah. man, it sucked. It really sucks. But you know, obviously, you know, so many of my friends um, work in the industry or work in the kind of gym industry or, or are fighters themselves who have, you know, they're losing more than money out of this, right. They're losing time out of their careers um you know we, we've obviously all had a good support network because all your mates are in the exact same boat so it, it's not it, it wasn't it wasn't too bad really yeah i mean sort of if we could go back um like you said talking about the start of the pandemic you know march 20th was obviously the last show before the pandemic hit obviously relocated to manchester and you know without the fans and things and I spoke to um, Steve Amable, who actually fought on the card, and I was just trying to get his sort of mindset going in because it was like he said he got into Manchester with his team late at night. Um, I think it was, I 
can't remember what day it was, um, but it was obviously only a few days out from the fight, and it just it was like a ghost town. He said, you know, where no one knew what was going on, and there was a real sense around everyone that perhaps fear, but maybe just the uncertainty of what will happen. Um, in terms of for you, what was your sort of thoughts, you know, for that event? Was there any concerns for you or did, did you just feel like, let's just go on with it, let's just see what happens and then what, what will unfold will unfold? Yeah, I think like Cage Wars have had a few times over the years where um, like kind of mad happened. Um, like we had, we had to move a show from Sweden to uh, the Middle East on like two and a half weeks notice once because the Swedish MMA commission basically wouldn't sanction any of the fights as pro fights. There was a whole like corruption thing behind it, like uh, uh, accusations of whatnot, mm. and the uh, the entire board had to resign over it. Um, and they've got they've got a new board now, and obviously Cage Warriors then went back and put the show on. So we've had a situation similar to this before, where we've not known what's going on. Um, luckily, we were kind of half based in the Middle East at the time in Jordan, so we had we actually had our own arena out there and a, and a hotel that we knew we'd be able to use. So so that was fine. But like you know, we've done shows in Chechnya. And like when you go to Chechnya to put an MMA show on, you don't know if you're getting out alive. Like it's uh, it's a crazy, crazy country, man. Yeah. Like, um, you know, you're walking around, everyone's armed to the teeth, and it's just nuts. You know, it's just, the people over there. Um, the people were lovely, but you know, they live by a different set of rules to we do. Like you know, no one's used to hearing no, um, and it, you know, there was all these like. Uh, sports ministers turning up at the weigh-ins wanting their commission fee it's like what's going on this is mental like i'm used to doing weigh-ins in the sports hall in bolton this is not what i signed up for (laughs) um so i think like the the kind of team spirit around cage warriors is that um we're just going to get it done you know we we, we've uh we've dealt with worse you know of course at the time we didn't know how bad the pandemic was you know we didn't know if this was just gonna be like three weeks or, or or whatever uh so we were like look we're just going to go. Graham obviously made the decision on the Sunday before. Um, we were we were told that the the I think it's Event Time that owns the O2. They said that uh, they probably wouldn't be able to let fans in, so the UFC kind of cancelled on the Sunday morning, I think. Um, and we said that we would still go ahead with no fans, and then they told us on I think the Monday morning that they were going to shutter the arena completely and send all their staff home, so we wouldn't even be allowed in um so graham kind of made the call we knew that bowls arena was free and it was just a case of right how do we get everyone up there um and i think you know cage Royce has been really good throughout this pandemic if there's been any issues whereby someone has failed a covid test um they've been paid whether that's a fighter whether that's staff they've been paid in full um regardless of whether they worked or competed or not and, and i think had cage warriors uh taken everyone up to Manchester and something would have happened I'm sure they would have looked after everyone um you know financially and whatnot to make sure no one was out of pocket because uh, that's just kind of the the organization they are uh, but yeah not, not gonna lie you know getting up to Manchester um you know I went and had a walk around on the Thursday night with my pal before it's the night before they closed all the bars and things and the, the town was dead and it's such a vibrant town normally it, it was so strange like seeing places that, you know, we wanted to go in for a bite to eat or food that just shot it already at like seven o'clock in the evening. It was so weird. And you did kind of get that sense moving up to it, especially when they announced the decision to close uh, hospitality down on the Saturday, I think it was, and we were running on the Friday. Um, I know Graham, I think he went on a podcast and said, 
it's going to take a lot of men with a lot of guns to shut the show down. So I don't know <laughs> if he was just planning on like locking the doors to uh, to the arena or something. But uh, there was a great sense of relief when we got there and everyone was kind of like, all the fighters had done the medicals and everything. And you're like, okay, well, it's not going to not happen now. Um, but it was, you know, skinny your teeth, you know, like say midnight that night, hospitality was officially shut. Um, we had to leave the hotel by noon the next day. Uh, and that, that was kind of it. So we, we were very lucky, but I don't think at any point we really thought maybe we were kidding ourselves, but I don't think we ever thought it wouldn't happen. Mm. Then obviously six months later, Cage Warriors returned in September. But in that time, you know, you're talking from March 20th to September 24th, those months. I mean, just, I think imagine for everyone, it would have been strange. That was the first real, you know, lockdown and change of everyone's world in this country but if I could ask for you specifically how was that time for you uh you know I, I was quite lucky in that this whole situation hasn't affected my partner and I that badly financially like of course a lot I lost a lot of income from MMA um but like my partner for example like wasn't even working from home for most of it so um she's uh, an intelligence analyst with the Metropolitan Police so she has stuff that she can't do outside the office. So she's in one week, home the next. Um, we don't actually live together, but um, we kind of made the decision that for lockdown, I would go and, and, and stay there kind of permanently. Um, so, you know, I had obviously I had to have my partner at home. So, you know, we, I wasn't stuck on my own kind of thing. Um, uh, and, you know, we had a roof over our heads and food on the table. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who were, who were much worse off than us. So uh, I, I wouldn't say it was the most difficult time. Um, it, it was kind of miserable in that, you know, like MMA is a huge part of my life and has been, uh, you know, for, for 20 odd years now. Like, you know, most of my friends are in the MMA scene and, and I spend so much time, so many weekends uh, doing it, just having that kind of ripped away from you that sucks. Like there, there was a, there was a whole lot of time when, you know, it's like, it's a Friday night and you're like, well, I should be sat in a hotel somewhere now getting ready to call fights or I should be packing a suitcase or, you know, I mean, I, I watch a lot of MMA as well. Like on the rare occasion that I'm not working, I've, you know, I've, I'm, I've bought the KSW pay-per-view. I'm watching some random bare knuckle boxing from somewhere <laughs> in Alabama. I'm watching the weird Japanese MMA. Like I watch sumo wrestling all the time. Uh, I, you know, the combat sports is like, is what I do. And just, uh, it, it, it was kind of odd, like your main hobby and your profession being taken away from you. Is, uh, it was kind of an empty feeling, but, um, you know, we kind of heard that Cage Warriors had plans to do something. Uh, so there was always kind of something on the horizon. And I'm very lucky in that uh, I have a few uh, writing gigs so, I mean, you know, there are, there are websites that I know I can just approach and they will, they will put stuff up for me, you know, the kind of European sites and stuff. But I've got a, a few paid gigs as well. So that's always good to have some structure, right? Like when you've actually got a deadline and it's a, you know, it's, it's a piece of paid work that, that, um, that you're doing. So, you know, you just keep yourself busy, don't you? Like I, um, I ate a lot of food and played a lot of video games. So, you know, it could have been a lot worse. How do you think it would have been if you hadn't had all these different opportunities? If you were to have just been doing commentating and that would have been taken away from you, obviously, within the COVID, 
do you feel like when the pandemic started you had a sense of relief that the fact that you don't need you know this commentating job you don't need this money that they provide when you do the work you know is that sort of something that you were feeling yeah I I think at the start it probably you know wasn't even thinking about it that much because I think like most of us we thought look this is this is probably going to be you know maybe a month or two or it's not going to be you know a a long-term concern so you know everyone's kind of got um, you know, if if you're fortunate enough, every, everyone's got like a little bit a bit of money put aside, etc. Just you know, j- just in case, right? Like, um, I know obviously a lot, a lot of people won't have had that, um, and there are people who work in the MMA industry who do it full time. Like, uh, you know, we have a company that provides our cages, and they provide cages for every show in the country, and they provide boxing rings for every show in the country. That's all their company does. Um, so you know, a lot a lot of their staff are uh, you know, self-employed. Um, they, 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 they just hire themselves out to the company in effect on like a, on, on a contract basis. And the guy who owns the cage company, that's, that's all he does. Um, and I know a lot of those people really struggled having MMA taken away because, you know, there, there's not really a safety net and, you know, the, uh, the government support wasn't the best. I, I mean, obviously a lot of my friends, uh, own or operate gyms and the the support they've had is has been disgusting um the insurance companies haven't paid out you know there's these big class action lawsuits going on at the moment and a number of my friends are, are involved um but you know like like, like a, a for example a friend of mine uh, had literally just doubled the size of their gym uh and opened two weeks before everything was shut down and i think the uh, the payout offer that they got in the end from the insurance company was less than two hundred pounds, and I, I mean, it's it's just an insult. You'd, I'd rather them offer me nothing yeah. than, than two hundred quid in that situation. They are thousands in the hole. Um, I think if you know if I had been solely reliant um, on MMA, it, it would have been. I, I mean, it would have been career change time, right? I'd I'd, I'd have to have just done something else. I'd have to, had to have dropped it and unfortunately the people who've really lost out in all this are the the young athletes or you know the athletes just coming into their prime who as i say have lost more than money and uh, i know a number of people who've jacked it in they've just quit because you know they were just coming up it was just it was just going to be their time and they you know if if you were injured for half of 2019 you could be looking at two and a half three years out of the cage maybe before you get a fight again now if you're an amateur athlete and, and that's too long um so what you know I, I certainly can see how bad it could have been for me and how bad it has been for you know a lot of my friends and colleagues yeah well thankfully it wasn't as bad for you as it has been for some but you know you spoke on it a little bit ago where if we can get back to the cage warriors aspect of having the trilogy fights again obviously the march shows was the last ones and then september came back with the trilogy and then in December again, and then obviously in March again, after the restrictions sort of came a bit easier in at that September time. But then obviously in December, um, we went back into somewhat of a lockdown. I mean, where I am, um, obviously for Christmas, it was lockdown again. It was, you know, no families gathering or anything like that. And then... Yeah, same for us. We, yeah. We, we were the same, I think. The week before Christmas, they said, you can't, you can't yeah. mix households, so... Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's obviously been horrible for probably everyone in some fashion, but um, in terms of the trilogies and what that perspective of things has added, do you think the whole production has become better because of the experiences that you've had since the pandemic started in terms of perhaps more of a professional look you can give it in terms of obviously without the fans and things where you make the show even better, obviously amidst the circumstances? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we're definitely our own harshest critics. Um, I think I'm happy to speak for everyone at Cage Warriors when I say that. Um, our, our producer, a chap called Adam Sparrow, he's, um, he works on like big TV productions normally. So he does, uh, I'm a celebrity, let, get me out of here. He does Love Island. Um, and he's got a lot of contacts. Um, now, again, Cage War has been very fortunate here over the past year or so in that a lot of the guys he works with have not had much work. So they've been willing to do, you know, stuff like Cage Warriors, which I'm sure probably pays a hell of a lot less than going out and doing I'm a Celebrity in, in, uh, in Australia. Um, you know, he's been able to call a few favours in and he's, he's had, like, we've had Champions League producers working on one of these shows. Like, it, it's been cool in that respect. And, you know, after every show, it's, it's, a, it's a learning process. You know, there's always like a big debrief and we always look at, what happened, what went well, what we could do better next time, what was bad, what we need to take out. Um, so, you know, o- over the trilogy, so obviously a lot of data to consume after a show. There's, there's, there's three times the amount. So we've definitely made some improvements. Like, I think the first trilogy, uh, the production was, was pretty much exactly the same as the other shows. But then as it went on, we moved on to doing things like at the start of the show, um, there was a shot with myself and Dan Strauss, um, and Layla would, would be speaking to Graham at the start of the show and then throw to us. I'd say a little something. Dan would speak over a bit of video and then we'd throw back to Layla. Um, we then changed that for the next show that we would have a camera on the commentary position. So they would just get a shot of the commentary table. So between fights, you get me, Dan Strauss and Dan Hardy. Um, just little things like that, really. Just little tweaks. And obviously, like, you know, behind the scenes with like all, all the pre-fight footage as well um it's just been a case of you know really maximizing what what we can get out of these guys and and telling stories the the best we can um you know the the production team and myself have a good dialogue so obviously i know the fighters so well they can send me a message and be like right um so for here's a good example like uh oban elliott for example um adam sent me uh, a message last year so I'm, i'm on my way to oban elliott's gym what do I need to know about Oban? So I said, well, he put a really cool picture on, po- on social media the other day of um, his dad, who used to be a boxer, and him throwing the exact same left hook. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, Oban's father passed away many years ago. And uh, a big thing for him is, um, you know, keeping that legacy going of, uh, you know, the boxing men in his family. And, you know, he's, he very much dedicates his, his, his career and everything, uh, you know, to his father for, for all that inspiration. Um, so, of course, Adam was then able to get these pictures and splice them into the broadcast briefly and talk to him about that in his pre-fight footage. So then you've got a situation whereby the pre-fight video isn't some guy saying, yeah, best camp of my life, never felt better, I'm going to knock this guy out in the first round. It's an emotional thing, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a journey. Um, stars get made because people want to go on that journey with people. You know, it's, it's a cliche example to use, but look at Conor McGregor, right? He was a plumber from central Dublin, from a very poor neighborhood. He, uh, you know, didn't have a pot to piss in. He was living with his girlfriend on, on, on chicken, rice and boiled veg. And now he's the richest man, the richest fighter in, in the history of mixed martial arts. And that journey, now, whether you agree with everything that came after it or you support everything that came after it or not, that journey is incredible. And the explosion of MMA in the UK and Ireland all these young lads getting the Conor McGregor haircut and the Conor McGregor tattoo and doing the Vince McMahon millionaire strut. Like, 
that all came from him, that people wanted to go on that journey with him. Uh, and whether you're a fighter or not, whether you're just a young lad from Crumlin, you can see a bit of yourself in that. So like with Oban, for example, you know, there must be a load of lads out there who maybe, you know, they, they, they've lost their, their father figure or, or they've lost someone they look up to. And they say, well, look, here's this guy and he's absolutely smashing it. I can live that legacy as well. I can live that same story. I can go on that same journey. It's, it's, it's an inspirational thing. And I think one of the things that Cage Warriors has done really well over this past year is tell some of those stories uh, in a bit more depth and, and give a bit more life to the characters and, and the production. And that gets people interested. It's inspiring things, hearing sort of the stories that can be made from, you know, the, the presenting and the commentator side of what they can get out of their fighters so that everything's not just a cliche where you watch so many interviews and they're all the same answers. If a fighter's doing a fight week and they've got, you know, 20, 30 interviews to do, you hear the same thing, but you're just watching it on different networks. But some, like yourself and the others at Cage Warriors, they can sort of bring that out of fighters, which is obviously what the fan, me, sitting watching it on the TV wants to see. One thing that we did um, put in, in, I think we did, we did it for the first time in December, um, just myself, Layla and Dan Strauss, we actually booked in 10 minutes with every fighter on the card just to sit and chat with them beforehand. Like, I've done my kind of preparation already and Layla's done hers. Uh, but we thought, how cool would it be to just sit down for 10 minutes, not like interview them and asking them like serious questions, like just to sit and have a chat, ask them how they're feeling and how things have been going in the hotel. And, and again, you can just add little bits into commentary. Like, you know, so you're not just sitting there saying, oh, well, he's had 10 wins and eight were submissions and one was a knockout and one was a decision. And then he's come into the third round four times. It's just boring at the end of the day. Like, fine, say it. But anyone can look, look that up on topology. What they can't look up on Topology or Sherdog is the fact that, um, you know, he, he's left his lucky shorts at home and he's had mm. to get them curried in or, or, you know, just stuff like that. And it's, yeah, it's not necessarily always the most like serious, impactful, game changing stuff, but it's, it's color. And I think that's something that we noticed from the first trilogy, having so much going on in a short space of time you can't just rely on your old tricks. You've got to kind of bring some new things in. And we thought that'd be a good idea just to sit and have that chat with everyone. So I think that's something we'll probably do every time now. You said there you're sort of your own harshest critic, which obviously a lot of successful people are. But do you think in some ways, obviously with the aspects of not having a crowd, you know, even though perhaps maybe there's not much that has actually changed in terms of the production. Okay, some fighters might not be able to compete. Maybe you get some slightly weakened cards, but, you know, mainly it's, it's sort of been the same just without the crowd just that one thing in your mind in the production team's um, perspective put more pressure on yourselves to obviously like you said create these stories make these sort of headlines and drive that narrative for the fans like having to perhaps make the show even bigger from your perspective um, for obviously the fans to watch well yeah I mean something that you know I've I've always said to people is that the, uh, the best commentator in the room is always the crowd. Like, they will tell you what's going on. Like, they will, they will tell you the story of that fight. Like, um, you, you, can, you can turn the commentary off, right? You could mute the commentary and you would know when the big moments were just from listening to the crowd. You'd know who the most popular guy in the cage is. you know who the bad guy is just from, from listening to the crowd, right? So um, it's, it's taken away a huge amount of the atmosphere and the emotion and that's something that you kind of let yourself driven by get driven by as a commentator as well so we wear ear defenders that completely block the crowd out 
but I take one off and have one on. So I can always hear what's going on behind me and you can raise your voice and affect your voice to match the crowd. And that sounds really, really good. One thing that it has given us, which, um, which I suppose is a benefit of not having, having the crowd there, is that you can hear the shots land a lot better. Like you can really, really hear some of them land, like the, um, you know, the leg kicks especially or, or the elbows. And you can hear a lot more of the corner teams. So that's kind of, in a way, added something to it. Um, and, you know, something that we've been able to react to as, as commentators and broadcasts as well. You know, if there's been a, a kick that lands really, really loud, we can, we can talk about how loud it sounded or, and you, you know, because normally you'll hear a kick that lands if it lands with the foot, which isn't like the most effective way to land a, a leg kick with the foot, but it sounds the best. It's the ones that are like the dull chopping thud that do the damage. Now people can hear those as well, uh, you know, if the cage is mic'd up well, and people can hear the advice from the corner teams and stuff. So that's stuff we've been able to reference. And, you know, we can bring replays up of a, an elbow that lands really loudly. We can put that in, into the, the replay package live between rounds. So um, while it's kind of taken away, it's also, it's also given as well. Uh, but I think I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking forward to having it back. There's just, you know, when you look at guys like Paddy Pimblett, his walkout in Liverpool, you will never emulate that. You know, there's no way to do it. You can pipe crowd noise in if you like digitally, but it's not the same. Um, and I know for a lot of the fighters as well, uh, a lot of guys really hate not having the, the crowd there. Some, some guys love it because there's less pressure. Um, but like talk, to, talking to Paddy, for example, after the first trilogy uh, last year in March, he said that he felt like he was in a sparring session. Like he said if things had got dicey for him in that fight and he had to go that extra mile, didn't know if he'd be able to do it because mm. there's you know there's normally six thousand people screaming and for him to get up and carry on kind of thing um so yeah you know it's, it's been a huge change not having the crowds there um some good points some bad points uh but i think we'll all be happy to see uh to see fans back in that is probably the biggest impact of covid and the pandemic of live sport obviously with the no fans and attendance and you can't really understand it from the athlete's point of view you'd have to get in there yourself to sort of experience it you can experience it in some ways with what you've had to do with commentating over it and being in that environment but in terms of the return of cage warriors in june um obviously the government ease of restrictions and somewhat getting back to normal it seems with their plans to get fans back and all these things reopening are you sort of going along with that just now in terms of thinking June, we're going to have fans, it's going to be back to normal, or some things you're thinking, is this really going to happen, or if it does happen, is it going to be safe enough to do? What's your thoughts about that? Well, if you cast your mind back to, I want to say, either late December or early January, um, the government gave this advice that things would be opening up uh, end of Jan, early Feb, uh, or may maybe, maybe end of Feb, early March, I can't remember exactly. Um, and on the back of that, we announced that fans would be allowed into the last trilogy and started selling tickets. Um, obviously limited. We, you know, we're in the York Hall, which is a small venue anyway, while we're doing these trilogies. Um, and it was going to have to be, you know, people would have to sit in household bubbles. And that means obviously you can't use as much space. It's all bench seating and stuff in there. So, um, you know, that would have to have been marked out. But regardless... We went and sold a lot of tickets and then obviously things changed and, you know, we use, uh, I don't know if it's Ticketmaster or, you know, one of these ticket companies um, and it's not the easiest for fans to get refunds. You know, they have to go through the tickets. You know, we get all the stick from it. They're 
kind of hassling us on social media, but it's, it's unfortunately, um, you know, it, not to show responsibility, but it's, it's they have to contact the, the the ticket provider. The ticket provider says they can't issue a refund until the event has not happened. So everyone's waiting for their refunds. And then, of course, you've spent 200 quid on four tickets or whatever it is. Um, and you've spent, you know, an extra 30 quid on booking fees and they don't give you the booking fees back. Uh, and that creates a lot of bad sentiment, you know, and I'm, I'm sure more casual fans, if you get stung for, you know, 38 quid booking fees and, and not getting your money back for three months, it might make you wary of buying tickets for the next one. So you, you'll notice that we haven't ha actually said anything on social media yet about whether fans will be allowed in. We're sort of working under the assumption that they will be. Um, and I think it's going to be a case of, with it probably being the first big MMA show in England back, it's going to be pretty easy for us to sell tickets. You know, even if we have to put them on sale three weeks before, we'll, we'll sell a bunch, whole bunch of tickets for that. Um, I, I just think it's a case of we don't want to jump the gun and be like, yep, yeah, definitely 100%, buy your tickets. And then, you know, the government changes, changes our advice after six weeks and we're in that position again. But I, I do genuinely think there will be some fans allowed in. I think overall from Cage Warriors, it's been really impressive because obviously not a lot of companies have continued, not a lot of companies have dared to try again. Um, obviously with the UFC, for example, when they returned, they got a lot of criticism for going back so early and really not taking any time off where the majority waited. But for Cage Warriors, it's been really impressive to see how they've been able to manage and produce live events. Okay, not with the crowds and things, but when you're actually watching it, sometimes you get so used to the fact that there isn't crowd anymore with all the sport that you watch, you just forget about that and you listen to the likes of yourself and the fighters. You're just you're just focusing on the fighters anyway. Like, okay, the when you're watching an event, sometimes, you know, depending on who the athlete is and if they've got that fan presence, you do listen to the fans, you hear those great walkouts and things, but you are mainly focusing on the fight itself anyway. So has there been much of a change? I'm not sure. But um in terms of just the production itself of Cage Warriors and yourself being involved in that, do you feel the same sentiment in that there's a real sense of pride for you? You work for a company that's been able to produce such well-produced and live events again for the public. Absolutely. Um, to be completely unselfish about it, like I, 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 I do this because I care about the sport and I think, I think athletes deserve to have their stories told in... Uh, you know a, a professional manner and I think I can do that and I, and I think Cage Warriors does that and I think oh I, I've been with Cage Warriors for nearly 10 years now and I've been a fan of Cage Warriors for 10 years before that and one thing they've always done is build stars um, and you know help these guys along their journey now that journey stopped for the vast majority of people all over the world and especially in, in the UK and Europe and while it hasn't been a full schedule for Cage Warriors um you know, we've had what three trilogies now, so that's well nine shows. And then we did one in March. So we've done we've done ten shows during lockdown, which 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 is more than most. And seeing what it means to all the fighters, just you know, the look of relief on people's faces when they when they get to the hotel, they pass their test, and their opponent weighs in, and they know they've got a fight. Then um, has has been phenomenal, and it does give you a great sense of pride. Like, you know, we all we all want the sport to continue progressing. It's got a long way to go. Um, and I think we, there's no time to take your foot off the gas. It's a constant battle, like, to put shows on, to put them on safely, to put them on well. Like, I'm quite a libertarian. I think that, you know, people should be able to 
um, you know, decide if they want to take uh, the risk to go and do something and you're an adult, you make that decision for yourself and, and you live with the consequences. Now, the, the problem with something like COVID is that you're not just putting yourself at risk, you're putting other people at risk. Um, so, you know, there's an argument that cage warriors isn't necessary, but I think given the, uh, you know, the safety measures that we took, um, you know, we worked closely with the government to get approval and the, the hoops that we had to jump through, like the setting up the bubble, for example, in the hotel, it's not just a case of, right, everyone in the hotel, nobody leaves. Like every single area is mapped out. There's bits taped off. There's doors taped shut. There's entire floors of hotels having to be booked and paid for uh, just, just to get this on. And I think we, we removed a massive, massive amount of risk to anyone but ourselves. Um, and I think that's really all, all, all you can ask. You know, like me, for example, um, you know, I did not go and see my parents or any family members. So my, uh, so my, my mom was, uh, was shielding, my grandma was shielding. Um, so I didn't see them. I, I came back to see them two weeks ago the first time in six months because I didn't want to be going to the trilogies and, and, then, and then coming back. So I kind of kept myself away from them. Um, and, you know, all of us working on the shows, we've, um, you know, we've been putting ourselves into our own little quarantines for a week before we even turn up to the show. So we're not risking, you know, bringing it even to the hotel, even though we, you know, we have to pass the test. We, we, we don't want to take the risk. Um, and just seeing how everyone's pulled together to do that, to put these shows on, uh, you know, it, it's, it's huge. You know, I, I, I don't want to like sit here and be smug about it, but we've done a great thing over the past year and uh, we've done something that a lot of other people haven't. And, you know, big up guys like KSW as well. They, they've done a, a very similar thing. They've been putting shows on in the TV studio throughout this and they've had similar um, procedures to us. Uh, you know, the UFC, the, the procedures on, on Fight Island especially were, were nuts. Like to get to Fight Island, you had to quarantine uh, for 48 hours in England. You had to quarantine for 48 hours when you arrived. You had to, again, stick to a hotel bubble. You had to quarantine before you got back. It was nuts. So those of us that have managed to contribute in some way, yeah, absolutely, you know, full of pride for it. Yeah, you, you can tell the, the standard um, when, not just when you watch the fights, obviously, because, you know, Cage Warriors is the leader of UK MMA, but just when you look at it from an organisation standpoint, you've also got the UFC and Bellator and perhaps one and in America and probably around the world are probably best known. But then when you think of the UK, you immediately think of Cage Warriors and what you're saying there about the procedures that you put in place before making sure that first and foremost, everything is safe. In terms of just overall in the last year since COVID started, how would you sort of sum up Cage Warriors and personally yourself how you've been able to adapt how you've been able to continue pushing on with shows and just sort of what the pandemic's done for cage warriors but also for you and your personal life i think in terms of you know you know both both in terms of cage warriors and, and personally it's it's really shown the importance of structure and framework you know having um a plan in place that you can then take, tweak, and then put down over the next show and everything falls into place again. Uh, that, that's been essential. Uh, and, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if you relate that back to uh, people's personal lives as well, you know, when everyone first got, you know, sent home from work last March and nobody really knew what they were doing. And, you know, there was uh, a lot of people, myself very much included, who, as I said before, you know, uh, ate a lot of food, played a lot of video games. Uh, probably drank a little bit too much beer. I'm, I'm a full uh, 
one or two belt sizes bigger than they used to be. Let's put it that way. Um, but you know, that, that's kind of what people did, you know, like we were, we were doing like four zoom quizzes a week with different groups of friends and everyone's having a drink and, you know, eating a lot of rubbish, eating a lot of takeaways and, um, it's not good for you. And especially when you, when you realize that actually it's not just three weeks, we're not just having a jolly. It's, this is going to be a long-term thing. You've got to put some structure in place. Like, you know, you, you've got to say to yourself, right. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to go back to having, you know, maybe a takeaway once every week or once every two weeks or something. And, you know, we're certainly not going to be having, you know, four zoom parties every week where, you know, people are drinking and whatnot. And right th today we're going to go for, a, we're going to go for a run. We're going to go for a jog having like things in place, things to do when, when your structure of work is taken away from you, you've got to replace it with something. And if you're replacing it with bad things, bad things are going to happen. And professionally, the exact same goes. If, if the normal structure of doing things the way we normally do them is gone, if we don't have a plan to put into place for these trilogy events, they are not going to work. You can't just expect to, be, to tell everyone, turn up to the hotel, we'll be there all week, it'll be fine. You, you need to have uh, everything spelled out. And, that, uh, and we did. You know, it, it forced us to um, be able to ad adapt on the fly with things, you know. So the, the first trilogy, for example, the battle plan that we had, all the, we got all the, like, the heuristics data in, and we were told to expect, uh, I think it was about 33 test failures out of the nearly 200 people that we tested. So we'd bargain on having like 33 people fail. Now we only had 16 fail. So we were kind of really, really lucky um in in terms of that but it, it's the fact that we had contingencies in where we could we, we prepared for much much worse um so you know all of a sudden only having 16 people fail it wasn't the worst thing in the world everyone knew on these cards like look if you turn up and your opponent doesn't get in because they've not passed the covid test do not order a big mac and get scoffing because you might fight two days later we might be able to do something if, if the same thing happens so everyone was on the same page everyone was on the ball look normally like looking after fighters in a hotel it's like looking after a play school like they do they, they do what they want like you can imagine having you know you've got 10 fights that's 20 alpha males right yeah. all in the same none of them want to be told what to do they're all angry because they're cutting weight they're all stressed out because they're about to fight um and that was like the big worry, like this is going to be a nightmare. But everyone stepped up and that was crucial as well. Like it, it really showed the value of teamwork and not just in terms of the Cage Warriors team, but in terms of the coaches, in terms of the fighters, in terms of the hotel staff that we had to work with all week. Um, so yeah, I, I think the two big takeaways from this whole thing for me, uh, just how important having that structure in place is uh, and, and how important it is to put your egos aside and work together and create something beautiful and i think that's what we did i think that sums up what cage warriors and everyone part of that team has been able to do in the last year but um obviously there's been a lot of positives and negatives in the last year but if we could end on a complete positive can you give me your thoughts on paddy pimblett signing with the usc i was very happy um i i knew before it, it broke yeah. i kind of knew it was coming anyway i know um Graham wanted to give him an offer to stay at Cage Warriors. And, you know, after, after the Saturday night, he was calling out Aggie Sadari on the way back to the hotel. He, he said uh, Sadari couldn't even finish a hot dinner. So uh, Paddy said he was going to come back in June and, and take the lightweight belt. Um, but, you know, it's been on the cards for a long time, right? Um, he's had a, he had a couple of tough losses to Naramani and Soren back. 
And then he's had some real bad injury issues. So his, his hand was really messed up. He's had multiple surgeries. And, you know, what people forget about Paddy is that, you know, when he rose to stardom, he was quite young. And I think there was a sense with a lot of people that maybe this was slipping away from him. And I kind of never bought into that because, um, you know, I have seen I have seen him, you know, it, when when people haven't seen him on Cage Warriors, I've, I've seen him, you know, around shows and, and socially and stuff. Um, and, you know, it's all he wanted. It's all he wanted. You know, the plan was always to go there. He wanted to stay in Cage Warriors for a while, mature in Cage Warriors, which for me is, you know, the best thing that a lot of these guys can do. Have these tough tests, get ready for the UFC, because very few people get to go to the UFC and then get cut and then go back. Right. So you want to be ready when you get there. Um, I remember Paddy being 15 or 16 years old, posted on the Cage Warriors forums that he was the best uh, amateur bantamweight in the country, uh, calling out like fully grown men and stuff. Um, and I've, it's been a pleasure to be, you know, part of the journey and, and be along for the ride. Just, you know, seeing the good times, seeing some of the bad times as well, seeing him come back and, and you know, the, the two performances that he's had uh, during during these pandemic times, you know, they both, you know, really speak to his potential. And you just couldn't be happier for the kid, man. He's, he's a star. He's a born star. You, you only need to look at uh, the reactions, the walkouts. When we used to do shows at the Echo Arena in Liverpool, you could not get into a taxi without the taxi driver having driven him round or knowing his mom, or like, you know, take you on a little detour because there's a big poster of him outside the train station. It was nuts. Like, you know, I think he could be bigger than Darren Till. If he keeps winning, he could be bigger than Darren Till. Um, you know, he, he could be a huge, huge star for this part of the world. And uh, I'm very happy for him and wish him nothing but the best. He's, he's a top guy. I think that's a great way to end things on a positive. Um, Brad, thank you so much for all your time today. Really appreciate the time. Um, thank you so much and good luck with everything in the future. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.